Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. My guest today is Robert, I'm sorry. Um, Murphy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Robert. Robert Murphy. And Robert is a chef. And Robert lives in Albany. And Robert um, kind of called up uh, one time one of the shows that I was doing. And we called him back, and we had a nice discussion. And he's a chef, and we're going to talk about many aspects of food over the next um, few months, maybe years, hopefully. And <laughs> today we're going to talk. And today we're going to talk about urban agriculture and how that is important. So, Robert, thank you for uh, being on Focus on Albany. I I look forward to great things with you. I look forward to talking about food, and it'll be exciting. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So and I can talk. I can talk all day about food. <laughs> And I can eat it all day. <laughs> and as I promised, I will cook for you in the future. Great. So we're going to talk about urban agriculture today. And it seems that, you know, you and I, when we talked yesterday, we, we both have a gluten problem. And I think part of the problem with that is uh, the poisons that are being sprayed on the wheat. So yes. urban agriculture is, a really important thing. It's not big agriculture business, but it's people taking responsibility in their backyards for food. So tell us a little bit about about what you know, the importance of urban agriculture. Wonderful. Well, let me give you a little bit of my background so I can back up what I'm going to tell you about. Um, okay. I am a regional planner other than being a chef, which I've been a chef since I was probably nine years old, and I went to culinary arts school in New York City, which used to be called uh, Peter Kump's, and that was uh, uh, related closely to uh, James Beard Foundation, and it's now called the mm-hmm. Institute of Culinary Education, so that's where I got my food education, and that created my interest in food policy. So I'm an environmental planner and consultant, and that got me interested in food systems and food systems planning. So I've been constantly watching how big farms, and I'm from a farm in Missouri, in southwest Missouri, and I've slowly watched how Uh, big farms have taken down the little farms and turned it into the systems that we have today. And it kind of, everything flows together. Everything is connected. And, and the big farms that have taken over and turned it into basically monocultures where you have like one farm that grows corn, one farm grows soybeans, one farm raises pigs, one farm raises cows. Um, and it, 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 it's basically an assembly line. And as we saw in this global pandemic, and I, I'm going to emphasize that this pandemic 
it was a small pandemic in comparison to if we have an earth-shattering experience where um, uh, let's go compare it to the tsunami that happened a few years back and totally devastated uh, the Indian Ocean, that, that basin in Thailand and killed hundreds of thousands of people instantaneously and it wiped out their food system. So if we had something like that on a global scale that affects our food systems, we will not recover as quickly with our food systems as we have today. So for Mm -hmm. urban food systems, my concept, not my concept exactly, there is a, uh, an author and a professor out of uh, New York City. He's at Columbia University. His name is Dixon Despamier. And he has written a book called The Vertical, the Vertical Farms or Vertical Gardens. Uh, don't quote me on that. I'm looking around for his book and I don't see it exactly because I've probably placed it in a position where I would not forget where it was. And now I can't. Oh, here it is. The vertical farm, and his and the subtitle to that is feeding the world in the 21st century. So, going back to the pandemic, and going back to urban agriculture, and tying the two together, uh, my concept and my um, my theory is, if we had not just this pandemic, but if we had a very earth-shattering events, something very strong, something worse than this pandemic, we would only have three days' worth of food in the system because everything would shut down. Everything would shut down in the big agriculture. So we need to go local. I remember uh, when the pandemic first hit and I I usually do most of my shopping at the co-op, and uh, I I went there, put my mask, and looked at the shelves, and I couldn't believe it. It was, like, empty. I mean, the suppliers couldn't bring stuff to the co-op, and um, there were food shortages. So that was a real awakening, a real... It was something I never lived through before. Yeah, the closest thing I can remember to that was in 73 when the oil embargo. And we had the rationing of oil and there was a shortage of toilet paper once again. I think that was what caused that this time. Those people from 1973, we did remember that happening. So mm-hmm. my my concept is going to vertical farms and urban agriculture, and there's so many ways to do it. Uh, New York City has is taking is leading by example in the United States, but we are far behind from uh, northern European countries um, in doing urban agriculture. Um, we have aquaponics, we have aeroponics, we have uh, Oh, indoor, we have, uh, you can grow food 24-7, 365 is what, I was, what I'm getting at. So it's amazing what you can do. And 
you grow it on an in, on an indoor environment. Uh, you eliminate the use of pesticides, fertilizers, herbicides, and you can also you then reduce the dependence on fossil fuels. You prevent cross lot, uh, cross crop loss from shipping and storage, and you completely stop agricultural runoff. It's like um, it's very it's logical. Uh, you also capture your water on the roof where you, where you have a, a, a rooftop garden, and the rooftop garden acts as a natural filtration system and filters it down through the building. And it doesn't have to be a tall building. It could even just be a one-story building or any vacant buildings in Albany. This is a prime opportunity to do this. And I've been looking at some buildings where it would work. You create jobs for people. You um, empower communities to get behind it. Um, the cost of it would be vegetables mostly. Then you could also incorporate outdoors. You could have uh, local chickens, which uh, we just passed that here in Albany as well. I'm, I'm thinking about getting my chickens for my backyard. Because I do, I have a huge vegetable garden in the back. And, um, but growing local with urban agriculture is definitely the way of the future because uh, big agriculture, as we have it right now, um, it's a broken system. Everybody keeps talking about it. Uh, we, upstate New York, has taken action. Um, the the Taste of New York, that program, they keep pushing. They're going to divert more money to that. And it's also tied in with the energy consumption, energy consumption for raising cattle, raising livestock. Mm-hmm. Is, it, it's, very, it's very extensive and expensive. And the other side effect, it's also unhealthy. You have one virus that can take out an entire – um, an entire herd, um, and then that, and then it's exponential, and it just goes down line, and the consumer ends up paying more at the register. But buying local, as we're you're seeing more and more co-ops, uh, people are learning where their food's coming from again. People were separated from their food, um, and you and I discussed previously the uh, victory gardens. Mm-hmm. So I think we I should uh, we should incorporate a uh, podcast with the Victory Gardens. Uh, that would be very nice to nice to bring in on your podcast. Greg Sheldon would love. Um, I do have to introduce you to Greg. He's a great guy. Um, so as far as like um, urban urban agriculture, have you contacted? the mayor's office and um, created a plan that you could give her that could be implemented throughout the city? Not yet. Um, I am working on an idea for a startup to do urban agriculture. There are a couple of ideas I would like to design in a 40-foot container, you know, you've seen people who build these 40-foot containers to live in. I'd like to design the 40-foot containers where you can put these um, diodes, which 
create pink light, which is the the new way of having grow lights. You eliminate a third diode, you're saving 30% energy there. And the new diodes are LEDs, so you're saving about 90, 70 to 90% energy. Uh, the water, uh, if you're using aeroponics, you're saving up to 95% water because you're using a mist to spray on the roots that are uh, suspended in a medium that uh, that gives them their nutrients and the the food comes out clean and green. So, you know, people people in this country people in this country are used to getting in their cars, driving to the supermarket, pick up their groceries for the week or however often they shop, they come home and they have their groceries. And that's consuming um, oil, gasoline, petroleum. uh, And also, we're supporting big big agriculture by doing that. How many, um, how big is the um, market nationwide where people like you are talking about urban agriculture and doing something about it? Well, we're getting a lot bigger. Um, the Northeast and the Northwest and then the South, uh, the Southwest, uh, they're talking about this a lot. It's growing. Um, there's networks out there, North American uh Urban Farms, uh, NAFSN, North American Food Systems Network, Canada is huge on this all across. And they're not only doing urban agriculture, but they're also doing um, year-round hoop gardens areas in vacant lots, um, much like they they do here in Albany um, and Troy. Uh, with uh, mm-hmm. with Capital Roots, how Capital Roots uh, supports the the local gardens. So, right. but it needs to be taken that step further, I believe, where more people buy into it. Like th- this season with uh, COVID, when everyone was um, locked in, everybody went to Home Depot, Lowe's, and they couldn't get into most nurseries unless you went by appointment only. That's what I did. Um, but I couldn't find, I couldn't find basil for the, until they brought the second shipment. Everybody, everything was sold out because everyone put in gardens, which I love wow. my garden. I'm, I'm very happy with my garden. I go out and talk okay. to my garden every evening. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So, so you have happy yeah, plans. Yes. So I, I do like the idea of I'm actually since I'm president of the Whitehall Neighborhood Association and we will be having the mayor on our uh Zoom cast on February thirteenth at six thirty PM. That might be something I will bring up to her. She's doing her state of the city on February thirteenth at the Whitehall Neighborhood Association on Facebook. That's great. Um, yeah, so, but it, it, this is something that I'm pushing here in Albany. Um, 
and Buffalo has Buffalo, New York is really big on urban agriculture as well. And they are, mm-hmm. they work with a Canadian university in Buffalo and the uh, university at Buffalo. So a lot of people and, oh, and all of the co-ops and Cornell University extensions in Cornell, they, they have a huge program for this. And we're all talking and we're all trying to get things moving forward on this. New York City now, has an entire program for this as well. So from, your, from what you can say, has COVID-19 changed people's eating habits or made people uh, aware that, that you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, giving stuff yes, from it has. It, it has. It, it has changed their eating habits. Um, but okay. I'm not. I haven't figured it out yet, and I would like to do a poll on that um, to see. Definitely, people are eating uh, eating out all of the veg, fresh vegetables. Organics are gone. Uh, when you go shopping, but lately in the past three weeks, um, you can find almost everything now again. Uh, and the prices have gone up a little, quite a bit though. Um, I, I've been calculating every time I go out because I do price checking and I shop a couple of different stores. Uh, I think my shopping bill has gone up about 20%, but I'm able to find the, the products that I'm looking for. Um, mm-hmm. And I buy all different products. I buy organic and uh, traditional. So, but it just depends on the products. But now, because, and people are eating yeah. differently. And I, I've noticed that people are not eating as much pork ever since they see all of the, uh, because they focused on the pork plants when they did that in the news. So right. there's a lot of pork for sale for very inexpensive, and I myself stopped eating it. Um, and I went, I, I well, I like I prefer vegetables, uh, chicken and fish. So so with so many people who have been thrown out, thrown out of work, who are um, and the economic outlook for these people are not rosy. A 20% spike in food is a lot of money. And maybe a lot of people cannot afford to buy all of the important stuff that they need. What do you say to that? Well, the food banks are doing an awesome job in the city. Uh, They are are running at capacity. They're still feeding tens of thousands of people in Albany and Albany County. Um, Capital Roots is still selling vegetables and at lower than uh, prices that you would purchase them at supermarkets. And they have their food mobile that goes around, which is uh, the veggie mobile that goes around neighborhoods. And you can see their schedule online and that's excellent. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are helping people, um, even though I call it physical distancing, not social distancing. Even though people are physical distancing, um, I feed my neighbors, and I watch out for my neighbors. And I'm a community builder and a community activist, 
but I keep an eye on my uh, neighbors who are captive at home, who are unable to get out. So, um, mm-hmm. when I okay. and I always I always cook for twenty because I don't know how else to cook. <laughs> I like to cook so in two nobody, So if nobody shows up, you have to eat. Uh, no, I just, pack, I, just pack, I just package it up and send it out. Wow, that's great. But this way, you know, they say fences make great neighbors. I, I beg to differ. Free food, homemade food makes great neighbors. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So you've been, so, you've been in, involved with food for... A number of years, and yeah, you know what? I was I was a apron string to my grandmother, and it's like she was a cook all her life. And uh-huh. yeah, and from Missouri, um, comfort food is my favorite food to cook. All kinds of comfort food. I've been all over the world, and everywhere I go, I don't follow the mainstream. I always go to where the locals eat. So, I I really appreciate comfort foods. So when you just mentioned comfort foods, what are you talking about? Comfort foods are what people eat for every day. Um, and in Asia, it's the street foods, the noodle shops, street vendors. Uh, you go to the vegetable markets, which are much more there. That's where people shop instead of going to supermarkets in many places. Or they have different styles of supermarkets are, that are open markets indoors, um, and you can go and pick. It's like we had in the United States before we had supermarkets, before we had urban sprawl. When we had urban sprawl because of vehicles, cars, um, and that, that's another podcast. We'll, I'll tell you how food spread and how we got to big agriculture. Okay. And and it's and how we got rid of streetcars and and how McDonald's uh changed the face of the United States. Um maybe the world, so, right? It, it kind of did, yes. Uh and okay. I have very and then we'll talk about glyphosate. You started talking about that, which is Roundup that they put on wheat, which is right. I have celiac disease, and that's not by choice, and it didn't happen until I was in my 20s. So Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as, an, as an Italian-American who grew, grew up on pasta, the pasta and the bread, and all that wheat is great, and, you know, I can't. I can't eat my childhood foods as much as I'd like, so I'm not yeah, very what, happy about that. Well, my alternative to pasta now is I make the uh, I'll do uh, polenta. I'll do polenta and pasta in, in place of pasta. But the Italians have done very good job uh, in coming up with gluten-free pastas, and it, it's some of the best. But if you buy the Higher end gluten free pastas, you can't tell the difference. And I like the one I like the ones made out of chickpeas, which is another a very common. That's actually the number one bean in the, used in the world. So now, if you go into a uh, Italian deli and you buy imported pasta, the pasta that you get from Europe 
Is that as harmful as the pasta here in the United States? Unfortunately, yes. Um, Really? the, The seeds have, you would think that Italy has better flour and, but the, the seeds have, it is a little bit better flour, but the problem is the white flour that we have today is, uh, it's dead. It's dead flour because they, they, in the United States, they sprayed the glyphosate on it the week before they harvest the flour, the wheat. And that what that does, that opens up the seed. Uh, it opens up the, 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 I can't think of the word, the husk. It opens up the husk before they mm-hmm. harvest it, so it's easier to get the, uh, the seed out. And that exposes it to the glyphosate. So you're going to ear, and then they go process the flour, and you're, you're going to ingest the glyphosate. And I have a feeling that has something to do with celiac disease. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and actually, there are you, all reports out there. So you have breathe. been uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you have been a connoisseur of foods for a while. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. Let me ask you this question: How did you get from the Midwest to upstate New York? Uh, via the Air Force, I left, oh, okay. United, I left the United States with the Air Force in 1986 and moved to the Philippines and then traveled to 33 countries. Then I was back to, I was stationed near San Francisco at Travis Air Force Base, living in New York City, uh, living in San Francisco. I met someone who lived in New York and I was like, I was a world traveler. So like moving from San Francisco to New York was nothing since I traveled from, would travel from Manila to uh, uh, Shanghai, not Shanghai. We never did that from Manila to the, to Bangkok and all over the Pacific. So it's like, that was nothing for me. So I just up and moved. I was 21 years old. And okay. I've been back and forth, back and forth from the East Coast and West Coast for, and to Istanbul, Turkey, to Helsinki, Finland. I was a chef at the American Embassy and Hel- uh, American Embassy residence in Helsinki, Finland for a year. Um, and I lived in Istanbul, Turkey for a year. So I've been around, but I always keep coming back to New York. Right. Um so we have just a few seconds left. You have a, a website, you know, your our conversation today has been enlightening. So tell everybody what your I'm sorry, you have a Facebook page. Tell everybody yeah, what my your Facebook, Facebook page, page and I will open it. I'm gonna start it back up today. It's called five one eight nomadic gastronomes underground nomadic gastronomes underground great so we'll have other conversation as the time goes by you have been listening to robert murphy this is focused on uh, on i'm cynthia Blua. this is focused on albany and if you like this show like us on facebook 
follow us on Twitter. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Robert, for taking the time to be on Focus on Overly. Thank you, Have Cynthia. Great- Bye. Enjoy your weekend. Happy New